Man, wasn't worship good this morning? Jesus was here, is here, will continue to be here. All right, we're we're in the we're in the second week of a six week series, and and, and what we're what we're working on or working towards is we're, we're trying to, or at least I'm wanting to cast a bit of a vision for the future of our church, and we've 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 established. Uh, we're establishing vision for the future of our church based upon a lot of the things that have happened in the past because a, a lot of times those things that happen at the beginning, they tend to be formational for things that happen in the future. And, um, and we've been using two controlling metaphors, uh, the first being DNA. It's like at conception, chromosomes are exchanged, and when chromosomes are exchanged, DNA is set. And forever after DNA is set, uh, there are there, the outcomes are the, the outcomes are determined. You could, in some ways, you could say the destiny is is formed. You know, at that moment that those chromosomes connect, and the, and the other um, the other uh, controlling metaphor we've been using is is the idea of a foundation. And and when a when a man goes to uh, build a house or something, the first thing that he does is he hires some excavators to dig out the foundation. And 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 one of the things that 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 I've come to realize is. You can, you can tell a lot about what's going to be built by the foundation that exists. Like if we go out and, and we, we, begin to, we begin to build something, and if, if we find a foundation, and the foundation is 100 feet by 100 feet, and if, if we're able to determine that the foundation is 4 feet thick you know, of concrete and it's reinforced with rebar, that tells us something about what can be built there. If the foundation is 100 feet by 100 feet, we can't build anything greater than what's 100 feet by 100 feet. And so what I've come to tell you is that the Holy Spirit has been with us, and he's been with this church in a, just a dynamic way, because I've been here from the beginning. We're 13 years old. The Holy Spirit's been with us in a dynamic way, and he's been, he's been uh, when he came and he visited us from the very beginning, it was like chromosomes touching, and DNA was set. And so a lot of our destiny for the future was set back 13 years ago. And, and when the Lord came to be with us in our first home group meetings, as it were, you know that was like that was like Jesus digging out a digging out a foundation for us to build upon, and the good news is now that we're 13 years old, we're, we've we've come out of foundation mode, and and the uh, and the subfloor has been laid, and uh, and and all of the plywood's been put down, and and heck, there's even some two by fours and some exterior walls been going up, and 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 so what I'm really trying to get at is this that that a lot of what you see today, you know, if you're here new or if you've been with us for a year or two and you wonder, well, why are you like that or why are you all doing this stuff? The reason we're doing this stuff is because it's, it's what happened when God came among us in the very beginning. You know, one of the things we're going to do every single Sunday here is we're going to pray for the sick. And the reason we pray for the sick is because this church started as a prayer meeting for the sick, you know. And um, so those are just some of the foundations, some of the, some of the ways that DNA touched when, uh, when we met the Lord. And and I've outlined in the past couple of weeks uh, just uh, six elemental components of our DNA. And um, so I w- we're going to be talking about that today. The six elemental components of our DNA. The first one is the experience of God's presence. We don't want just a head knowledge about God's presence. We want to experience it. Uh, the second is worship. We're going to be a worshiping community. Number three is, is that we want to be a family of families, a community. It's, it's, it's defined who we are, and it's going to continue to define who we are. Number four is radical generosity, just like that offering we took up. We've, we've, been a, we've been a giving church, and we're going to continue to be radically giving. Number five is uh, one, of the, the, one of the other things, number five, that has defined who we are and is going to continue to define who we are is, um, 
is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Not just the gospel of salvation, but, but the gospel of the kingdom. And number six is equipping the saints and intentional discipleship. Those are the things that I feel like have just, over the past 13 years, defined who we are. They kind of encapsulate us. And those are the things that, uh, that we're going to continue to be. And we're going to learn to give ourselves even more fully to, and uh, especially this year. Um, and the thing that I want to look at this morning is, uh, we're going to look at uh, as our role as, as a worshiping community this morning. Um, from the, like I said, from the very beginning, uh, when we got together at Dick and Diane Salmon's house, just a little home group gathering, the thing that defined us more than any, any other thing was the fact that we, when we got together, we were a worshiping community. Now, we, it started as like a prayer meeting, but usually there was, if you did a little ratio there of prayer to worship, the, 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 the ratio would be like 25% prayer, 75% worship. And any of the prayer that was done, it flowed out of worship. And if you were there at the beginning, you know what I'm talking about. The thing that's defined us from the very beginning, maybe more than any other thing, is, ex- is encountering God's presence and encountering God's presence in worship. Um, at those earliest meetings, uh, the technical, I've, I mentioned this to you guys before, the technical abilities of worship, if we were to get a grade on that, we would have gotten maybe like a D minus. It was, it was nearly a failure. But we just had such a heart to worship the Lord, we didn't, we didn't care about the D minus grade that we were getting on the technical end. And we just we were like Mary, Mary on Mary at his feet and John on his breast, and we were we were just going for Jesus, and that's been who we are. You want to know why we crank up the amps real loud? Because, man, we're just we're we're, you know, we need amplification. There's just something about us that we love to worship the Lord, and oh, we need we need amplification. Yeah, you want to know why we go like 45 minutes in worship? It's it's because it's because it's just who we've always been. I mean, you know, be thankful we used to go all night. So we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at our call uh, as uh, as for being a worshiping community. And if you want to this morning, open up your Bible to Psalm 100. Worship is one of those things that's really close to my heart because probably most of my formation in Jesus has come in experiencing God through worship. So much of my formation in in uh, be- becoming a disciple of Jesus has been formed in worship, and because of that. Uh, when it comes to putting together like one message or, you know, trying to give you a full download on, of, of worship uh, in, in one message, it's kind of a challenge. But, you know, thanks, Lord, there's, there's this thing called the Bible, and there's, there's a, just this really remarkable chapter in it, and it's Psalm 100. And, and the remarkable thing about Psalm 100 is it, it is foundational for our worldview and our, and our mindset on worship. And it's, we're going to just walk verse by verse through it. And uh, I'm gonna, I want to outline... Uh, some of the things that are going to be most precious to us as we as we continue to endeavor to be a, a worshiping community. All right, let's read it. Psalm one hundred one through five. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, and come before Him with joyful songs. And know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Man, isn't that good? Isn't that good? What we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to, we're going to walk through verse by verse and then we're going to come back and we're going to make some highlights. Is that all right? All right, verse 1, it begins here with shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. And so one of the first things I want to tell you is that that in the church, 
And not just in the, in the big C church, but in the little C church that's us here in the purple walls. In the little C church, it's okay to shout for joy. You know, here's the thing, here's the thing about what the Bible says there. It says, shout for joy. And, and one of the things that's being communicated is this. Shouting is not just permissible in the church. It's actually a command. You know, one of the things that's happened in the, in the big C church is this. We have, in, in an effort to maintain control, and if you, you know what I mean by that, in an effort to maintain control, in an effort to maintain order, in an effort to do things in a seemly way, in an effort to, to, to look respectable, one of the things we've done is we've domesticated volume and emotion right out of the church. You know, we've taken this, see, the church is called to be a wild tiger, you know, and and one of the things you do when you start domesticating volume and emotion out of the church is you turn it into a little kitty cat. And, and what I want to tell you first off this morning is, church, it's okay to shout. It's not just okay to shout, it's a command. And here's one of the things I've learned about shouting. You tend to shout about the things you're most passionate about. You know? The things you shout about tend to, tend to put the magnifying glass over the things that, that most move your heart. And um, I, I, can, I can speak from experience about this. Some of you guys probably are in the same boat I'm in. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kentucky basketball. I love those guys. I think they're actually getting better. I cannot even believe it. Beginning of the season, I was wondering, what are those guys doing in practice? They're getting better. But here's, I love Kentucky basketball, and I've been to several games. I've been to 10 or 12 games. And when I go to a Kentucky basketball game, I come unglued. And here's the bad thing. I've never really had good seats at a Kentucky basketball game, and lots of times I'm sitting at the top, and there's 24,000 people in front of me, and I'm still coming unglued. Now, if you, can do, if you can do the math on this, it makes no sense for me to come unglued. Patrick Patterson can't hear when I'm shouting to him. He doesn't hear my direction. He, he doesn't hear my encouragement. Why am I shouting? I'm shouting because there's, there's a certain level of passion that's located in me about what's going on down there. And shouting isn't just permissible in the church, it's a command. And what I want to ask you this morning, first off, is what are you passionate about? Man, I could really get on the guilt manipulation horse here, but I won't. You know, here in the, here in the American church, you know, we've, um, we tend to be bottled up emotionally a little bit. And, and one of the things you'll sometimes hear people say is, oh, you need, to be, you, need to be, you need to be wary of emotionalism. You need to be wary of this, of this notion that, that, we should, that we should be directed by our emotions. You know, you'll even hear maybe pastors teach about that sometime. You know, be careful. Some of that's emotionalism. It'll get you off in a ditch. And, and what I want to ask you this morning is this. Who made the emotions? God made them. Who made, for, that, for that matter, who made the intellect? How many of you all believe that your intellect could lead you astray? I'm here to tell you, if you haven't experienced it yet, just wait. You haven't lived life long enough. You can think you're right about something and find out that you were wrong. You know, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we should let our emotions drive the bus. But here's the other thing I'm not saying. We shouldn't necessarily let our intellect drive the bus either when it comes to worship. When it comes to worship, this is how it should be. Our intellect, our body, and our emotions should respond to God. It's not that anything's driving the bus. It's that there's a response on the inside. And so, church, you know, shouting isn't just permissible in church. It's, it, it's a command. And it's a command because God is wanting to awaken something 
on the inside of us at an emotional, responsive level that's just like core to being a worshiper. And it's found, it's found in shouting. Here's the other thing I found about emotionalism. <clears throat> if you look through the Bible at emotional worshipers, if you, if you go through... If you go through the whole Bible, but especially if you if you locate yourself in the Gospels, if you just even this week flip through the Gospels, you don't even have to read that much. But if you're familiar with the Bible at all, just flip through the four Gospels. It'll only take you about an hour, and look for the emotional worshippers, the ones who are over the top, the ones who let their emotions run away with them. And what you're going to find out is that it's that it's just a handful of people, and the handful of people is is John, the beloved disciple who who was at Jesus' last meal with him, and everyone else is, you know, asking Jesus a lot of questions, and John is snuggling with Jesus and putting his head right on Jesus' chest. And then there's Mary, and, and before Jesus even had this meal with his disciples, she's so thankful that Jesus raised her, her brother up from the dead. She takes $50,000 worth of perfume, and she throws it all over him, and she falls at his feet right in a room with a bunch of men, which wasn't allowed, and she starts crying, and she wets his feet with her tears, and she wipes his feet with her hair. You know, talk about emotionalism. Here's the thing about emotional worshipers. They're the only ones who stayed with Jesus to the cross. You know, you you want to have a love that will remain through hard times? Man, I want to suggest to you that Letting your emotions respond to God will form you into, the, into being the kind of person who'll stick with Jesus even when it gets hard. Everyone else scattered like the hash browns at, at Huddle House, you know? It got, it got hard and everyone else scattered. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, all the way. <clears throat> yeah, how are you going to translate that? I, I, don't, I don't have any idea. Yeah, but the Bible says, shout for joy. Shout for joy. Here's the thing. It says, because there should be genuine joy in our worship experience. And here's the other thing I want you to notice. Look at this. Look at the first two verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. In the first two verses, there's this three times David is pointing out to us that we should be joyful and we should be happy. Joy, it should should define our worship. And so one of the things I want to tell you is, church, one of the things that's going to define our worship, not just this year, but but all the years, is that we're going to to be a joyful people. And, And we're just going to be a joyful people. That's just all there is to it. And some of you all might be thinking, well, you don't understand. I got a lot of problems. And, you know, my kids are driving me crazy or whatever, you know. I got laid off. I've got a lot of problems. How can I come into your house and I, how can I have joy? And, and, and what I want to tell you is uh, one of the answers is found in the book of James. It's chapter 1, verse 2. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. And I know that's kind of a, a verse that's, that's stuck out there on the edge for you maybe just a little bit. But what I want to tell you, when it comes to joy... Here's a technique for joy. See, joy starts in the mind. Look at the verse there. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You see, joy is a choice. Consider. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So 
what I'm telling you is our worship here is going to be defined by joy, not just on the stage, but all of us. And we're all going to get it. And one of the ways that we're all going to get it is when we begin to have hard times, we're going to, we're together, we're going to begin to train ourselves and we're going to learn how to consider it pure joy. See, joy is a fruit of the fruit of the spirit that exists outside of the realm of, uh, outside of the realm of circumstances. Happiness is 100% dependent upon circumstances. And what we're going to be is a kingdom people who are not shaken by circumstances, but who overcome circumstances, and it starts up here. So how can we, can, how can we shout for joy when, when I lost my job? Well, it starts up here. We're going to embody joy. We're going to be that kind of people. Back to Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. I love that part right there, all the earth. Who should worship? Who should shout for joy? All the earth. I want to tell you guys, and maybe, maybe you already know this, but I can't control all the earth. I can't even control my own house sometimes. But how about this? Shout for joy, all the vineyard. And if we all got together, we could all do that one, right? All the earth, all the vineyard. You see, worship is communal, and it's a treasure because it's one of the things that we get to do together. Um, even now, for some of you, what's happening is I'm holding the microphone, and you're having somewhat of a static experience. Maybe you're getting a little drowsy, and you want to go to sleep. That's okay. I'm not offended. <clears throat> but one of, the things that, one of the reasons that worship is such a treasure is it's, it's the one time in the meeting, and maybe even the one, to- one time in a week where the whole household of God can come together and do something together. And for that reason, it's a real treasure. And the Bible is saying, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now I want you to turn to the book of Romans. And you think, all the earth? All the earth? All the earth? Yeah. What, what the psalmist is writing here is that even unbelievers should shout for joy to the Lord. I want to show you something in the book of Romans. Turn to chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 18. All right, are we there? Awesome. This may seem a, a bit fragmented, but it'll come together for you here in just a second. So, so Psalm says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. I mean, even unbelievers should do it. So let's look here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, it's, the wrath of God is already being revealed. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Stop there. Even unbelievers should shout for joy to the Lord. And here's why. Because at least when they go outside and they experience nature, God is speaking to them and they know there's a God in heaven. How many of y'all, like on winter nights, go outside and you look up into the stars? Maybe you live out in the, out in the country, you look up and you see... Four or 5,000 stars. Y'all ever done that? Man, I'm telling you, there's a message in that, and it's from the Lord, and the message is this. There's a God in heaven. That's the message. I live in this really beautiful place. I'm not ashamed to say it. I live out on Rocheville Road, and I live in the middle of about a 25-acre field, and the field, it looks like rolling waters. I mean, it's these enormous, just giant swells of green, 
and it looks like a green ocean, and it's incredibly beautiful. And when I drive home and I look at this beautiful field that my house sits in the middle of, you know what the message to me is? There's a God in heaven who knows about me. You know what I should do? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. You know, uh, how many of y'all have been to the ocean? Lots of us have been to the ocean. I've been to the Atlantic Ocean, I've been to the Gulf of Mexico, and I've been to the Pacific Ocean. And you get out in front of the ocean, you feel incredibly small, and there's this vast body of water that the mind can't even imagine. And you know what the message that 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 vast body of water speaks to me? And not just to me, but even to unbelievers. There's a God in heaven who knows about me. I'm not an accident. This didn't happen by accident. Who should shout to the Lord? All the earth, even unbelievers. Let's keep going here in Romans just for a second. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Pay attention here. Nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What's the point here? The point is this, verse 21. If you know God, even if you don't know him intimately, but if you know him just by what nature reveals to you, if you know God and you neither glorify him as God nor give thanks to him, there is, there is a lack of revelation that will come over your life and you'll end up worshiping animals and, and idols. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this, that giving thanks to God and worshiping God actually protects your mind from demonic infiltration and it will protect your mind from being deceived. I mean, this is awesome. This is really, really awesome. You, you wanna, how many of y'all have ever been deceived about something? I'm telling you, I've lived life alone. I lived years being deceived about things. And one of the things, this is, this is a, a kingdom strategy for breaking down deception. Become a worshiper. Become a worshiper. Look at that. It's very simple. Give thanks to God and glorify him. It, it insulates your mind. It insulates your mind from demonic deception. I mean, who in here in their right mind would go out and cut down a tree with a chainsaw, hack out a wood block, carve it into a little idol, and bow down to worship it? Who in here? No one would do that. Why? Because it's utter foolishness. Why do people do it? The reason that people do it is because they've not glorified God. They've not given him thanks. Now you think, well, I'm not going out and I'm not cutting down any trees and I'm not making any idols, so I'm not deceived. leave that alone. That just rocks me, though. Worship is an insulator. It delivers us into revelation, and it protects us from deception. Let's look. Verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness, and come before Him with joyful songs. There's that joy thing again. Here's the thing I've also found out about joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, and you know, what you know what I found out about that is? One of the things I found out about the fruit of the Spirit, I've read the list several times. There's nine things there. And I found out that Sirius is not a fruit of the Spirit, which is hard for me to handle because I'm kind of a serious personality. But Sirius is not a fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I want to say. Our worship, our congregation, us as a people, even when we're not here, we should, one of the things that we should be defined by is joy. I mean, it should be on the outside, and it should be evident, and it should be apparent. 
See, serious is not a gift of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not an outcome of the Spirit. And here's the deal. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he teach them to pray? He taught them to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you something about heaven. There's no tears in heaven. And there's no sadness in heaven. And there's no depression in heaven. And there's no heaviness in heaven. And our worship should rise from a foundation of joy. You know, not fake joy, not contrived joy, not ignore the circumstances joy. But I'm talking about joy that's on the inside and gladness. And it's one of the ways that we're we're to come before the Lord. Let's look at verse 2 there again. That word worship the Lord with gladness, that word worship, some of your all's translations probably say serve the Lord, right? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I I know that in certain certain translations it says serve the Lord. Good. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Um, Yeah. See, one of the things that we do sometimes when it comes to worship is we want to lock worship within the realm of music and singing. And worship exists within the realm of music and singing, but it's not limited to the realm of music and singing. And what I want to tell you is that, that it's worship to the Lord when we serve Him. Like, and, and service just means living your life. Live your life unto the Lord with gladness and come before Him with a joyful song. So there's this connection between, between our worship and, and serving the Lord. Everybody in here probably has a heart to serve the Lord in some way. And when you serve the Lord like that, you're actually worshiping Him. Let's look at verse 3. See, verse 1 and verse 2, they tell us what to do. And they tell us who should do it. Verse 3 begins to tell us how we should do it. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. See, verse 3 here. This is, uh, as Pastor Ray likes to say, this is the beginning of mental health. See, you need to know that the Lord is God, and by extension, that you are not God. And that word know there, that's the word, that's the Hebrew word yada, and, and that means not just know it in your head, but know it by intimate experience. You need to know by intimate experience that God, He is God, that I am not God. You need, you need to know by intimate experience that it is he who made me and that I am his and that I am his people and I'm just a sheep in a sheep pen. You need to know by intimate experience. You know, one of the things we sang this morning even points to it. You all remember that second song we sang this morning, Taste and See That the Lord is Good? How do you see that the Lord is good? You taste him. And taste is an intimate experience. See, seeing the Lord is good, knowing that He is good, comes from the intimate experience of tasting Him. See, when I know that the Lord is God, I'm free, I'm free to not be God. And not just that, I'm free to be His possession. And not just any old possession, but His loved and treasured possession. And I want, I, want to, I want to show you a couple things here about verse 3, especially as it relates to, as it relates to worship. Because we're, going to, we're, we're a house of worship, and we're going to even more fully give ourselves to this. See, it says, know that he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And I want to tell you just a couple things that will put a ceiling on worship. And in some cases, not just put a ceiling on worship, but it will kill worship. And maybe the, one of the biggest things in the world that will kill worship 
is when, when, uh, when I get just like an independent spirit. And what I mean by an independent spirit is when, when I begin to live my life and make choices in, in such a way that, that set myself up as the, as, the, as, as, the, as the God of my life, if it were. You know what I'm saying? See, the Bible says in verse 3 that, that we should know that he is God, that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And one of the things that will put a limit on worship is when I begin to run my life like I'm not a sheep in his sheep pen, when I begin to run my life like I'm a shepherd. And it's just an independent spirit. We can go down that trail a, a million different ways, and, and I've experienced this a lot. It's hard to worship someone when you think you're the Lord. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to bless Jesus when you think you're the Lord. It's hard to bless Jesus when, you, when, when there's an area in your heart, maybe entire areas, where you're just saying, that's okay, Jesus, I got it. And, and what the Bible is really telling us here is that, we, that in order for worship to really break out for us, we, we need to know and know by experience, intimate relational experience, that, man, he's my God. Not only that, he's my shepherd, and I'm, I'm a sheep in his sheep pen. One of the other things, and it's related to an independent spirit. Sometimes it's the reason we get an independent spirit that kills worship is anxiety. See, anxiety just kills worship. See, look at there. It says, we're the sheep of his pasture. And, and, and some people, some people don't want to don't get in his pasture because they, they're, they're not fully convinced that he's a good shepherd. And what I want to tell you, even if you haven't experienced it yet, is this, that, that Jesus is dynamically good, and it's better to be a sheep in a sheep pen. And I promise you this about this shepherd. He wouldn't put you in a barren field. And, and, and some of us just believe that, that, man, the Lord is great, and... If I commit to him, then, you know, I've been kind of a bad person, so he might put me out in the barren field where there is no grass or water. And, and that kind of anxiety, man, that really puts a ceiling, and it limits, it limits the experience of worship in our lives. And so I just want to tell you all, man, the Lord's good, and he's for you, and he won't bring you to a barren sheep field. He'll bring you to a place of water and green pasture. Two things that kill worship, an independent spirit and just the anxiety the anxiety of, that comes with just running your own life. It's really horrible. Verse 4, this is, this, is how we, this is how worship is done, at least in the kingdom. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and to praise his name. This is awesome. A lot of times, no, I've been here, and I know you guys have too, a lot of times life is hard, and, and for some of us, we've even gone through some major junk even in the last 10 days. And when we're going through major junk, one of the temptations for us that, w- that will eventually come across our brain is this. You'll begin to believe, or you'll begin to want to believe that God is far away. I've been going through junk, so God must be far away. Or maybe you're just living life and things are going incredibly well, but you know something on the bottom, something on the inside isn't quite right, and you go, man, where is God in all of this? Even in the blessing, you go, man, God's a million miles away. Well, here's what I want to tell you. I don't have the answer to where God is, but I can tell you how to get into him. See, thanksgiving is the doorway into the kingdom. Thanksgiving is the doorway into his presence. I don't care how far away you think God is. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care what, what kind of offenses you feel like you've, you've brought before the Lord. If you want to get into the presence of the Lord, Thanksgiving is the key that goes into the lock. 
It's a key that goes into the lock, into the presence. It's the first step for getting into the presence of the Lord. And so, church, what I want to tell you is, man, we just, like, more than ever, we got to be a thankful people. See, in the kingdom of heaven, thankfulness is the password at the gate. You don't even get in without thankfulness in the kingdom. See, you get an, you get an independent spirit, you won't even get in. Here's the great thing about thankfulness, though. I was in the shower the other morning, and the Lord spoke to me about thankfulness. I was, it was about two months ago. He says, Adam, can I tell you something about thankfulness? And I'm just washing my hair. I said, yeah, Lord, you can tell me about thankfulness. He says, here's the awesome thing about thankfulness, Adam. I said, what's that, Lord? He said, you don't even have to be smart to be thankful. You, you don't have to be smart to be thankful. You know, in, in, in the world, if you're going to get an audience with the king, you've got to be the most brilliant you gotta be you gotta be the best at something to get an audience with the king. Or you gotta be the worst, you know, you gotta be the guy who did something horrible to get an audience with the king, because then he's gonna kill you. But here's the world, here's what I want to tell you. Like in the kingdom of heaven, everything's upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. In the kingdom, you don't even have to be smart. All you gotta be is thankful and you can go meet the Lord. I mean, that pretty much just levels the playing field for everybody in the room. You can be the biggest foolish person in the world. And if you're thankful, you get in. What I want to, let me say it this way. In the kingdom of heaven, brilliance is defined completely different than the way it is in this world. See, in the kingdom of heaven, it's the brilliant and the wise man who is thankful, even if you've been foolish in every other way, because you're going to get into the presence of the Lord. It's a key. It's, it's a key way into the house of God. Let me tell you how, what thankfulness is like. Thankfulness is like when, thankfulness is like when your wife takes a bath and puts on perfume. It's just attractive. Thankfulness thankfulness is not just a doorway in, but it's attractive. You get thankful and the Lord will show up. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. If you you know thankfulness is attractive. It's, it's not just a doorway in, but it will attract the Lord. When Jesus' church starts getting thankful, it's like putting perfume on. He's like, what's that smell? My wife is smelling better. And it's just really attractive. I found that to be true so many times. about my own lack of thankfulness. I found that to be true. There have been whole seasons of my life where I have lived outside of the reality of thankfulness. Whole seasons, entire seasons, and the Lord has been incredibly good to me. I've been incredibly non-thankful, and I'm sitting here scratching my head like three or four months into this, and I'm going, God, why is there no presence why is there no presence in my house? Why can I not find your presence when I'm praying? Why are you not speaking to me in the shower anymore? Why is it I'm leading worship and nothing's happening? What's going on? And then it occurs to me, my goodness, he's been incredibly good to me, and I haven't even thanked him for it. I begin to just, I mean, turn my heart one inch toward the Lord, and he falls on me. Now, that's happened so many times in my life, I can't even tell you. Thankfulness is a doorway in. It's like putting perfume on. It's like getting your ready, yourself ready to go see somebody that's special. It's how you get in. 
See, if you're not thankful, you don't even get to praise. See, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, a lot of times we'll praise the Lord and, man, all we're doing is, you know, <clears throat> raising our hands and dancing a jig and wearing ourselves out. And Jesus is going, guys, you start with thankfulness. It's the doorway in. Let's look at verse 5. Awesome. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is why we worship. Y'all ever wanted to know why we worship? This is why we worship. Because the Lord is good. The fact that the Lord is good is why we shout, it's why we worship, it's why we give thanks, it's why we praise. It's the foundation for everything. I want to show you something here. Look, look back in verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And what I want to tell you is a, a lot of people... A lot of people's experience with God, a lot of people's encounter with God, a lot of people's worship exists within a verse 3 realm. And what I'm talking about there is a correct verse 3 realm. It exists within the fact that, you know, I'm his sheep, he's the great shepherd. I'm his kid, he's the great God. And, and so there's, there's, there's two realms of worship, and, and one of the realms exists here in verse 3, and that, that's the realm of God is great. That's the realm of I go out into my backyard on a cold winter night and I look up and it's clear and with my naked eye I can see 5,000 stars and if I get just a little telescope out I can see like 50 million stars and, and that's the realm of God is great and that is there's a certain breakthrough in worship that comes with the reality and the revelation that God is great. I mean evidently from, remember we just looked at Romans a few minutes ago, evidently from the book of Romans the reality of worship that can happen from from, from the foundation of God is great. That's available to everyone all over the planet at all times. And it's good. But let me tell you a better reality for worship. The better reality for worship is verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. See, if you've, if you've encountered by experience the goodness of the Lord, I promise you your worship will change. I promise you if 300 people show up in the purple chairs here every single weekend, and I promise you if we showed up encountering the goodness of God, our worship will be dramatically different than even people who, can, even people who know that God is great. See, lots of people, even, even, even people in the bush know that God is great. See, you don't even have to have a revelation of Jesus to know that God is great. But you want to have worship that breaks that breaks through. You want to have worship that changes people. You want to have worship that blesses God even. The best worship happens from, from an encounter, and not just an encounter in the head, but an encounter of the heart by intimate knowledge that God is good. Let, let, me, let me share with you all just some stuff. Some stuff that happened this week that's just really good. Um, Bubba was out and he's working a job. And he is just fixing a woman's house. A man, another contractor before Justin, came and, and really, 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 in a horrible way, took advantage of a single woman who is a widow, who has MS. Literally put an addition onto her house, and every single thing that was nailed, 
glued and constructed together was wrong. Every single thing. Took her money and left her with a useless, horrible addition on her house. She hires Justin. Justin is fixing things. I mean, he's just Superman, you know? And this woman, during this week, she goes out and she falls and she hurts her, she hurts her wrist. Now, this woman already has MS, okay? So, you know, by the world standards, the, the deck's already stacked against her. And she goes out and she falls down and she hurts her wrist. And her wrist is just like, you know, the size of a, of a tree trunk. And Bubba's in, getting ready to start working, and he, and he says to her, hey, what's up with your wrist? And she tells him, and he says, well, how about I pray for it right now? And she says, oh, I'd love for you to do that. And so Bubba just begins to tell her a few stories about how good God is and how he's healed a few people around here. And she says, that's great. I believe that he could do it. He even healed my heart one time. And Bubba says, that's awesome. Put your hand out. And Justin grabs hold of her hand, and he begins to pray for her, and her arm begins to tingle. He says, do you feel anything? She goes, yeah, it's tingling. He says, move it around. Does it still hurt? She says, yeah, it actually still hurts. He says, that's okay. Let me pray again. He prays, and the power of God hits both of them. They're both kind of vibrating. Now, this is a woman who doesn't vibrate. Bubba vibrates. This woman doesn't. This is not at church. This is not in the purple walls. This is out in somebody's house. And suddenly, she just begins to shout, ah, I'm better. She puts her horns up. She can move it around. He's like, where's the pain? She's like, I don't know. It's gone. He says, well, you've got MS. How about, how about we lay hands on you for MS? She goes, I'd love it. She's, no, this, by this point, this is a woman who can't get around very good. She's standing up. She's got her arms in the air. Bubba puts his hand on her head, and he goes, where does it hurt? She says, all over. He prays for her, and the power of God hits them both, but this time only more. And they're all vibrating again. And then she shouts again, all the pain's gone. Can I tell you something? The Lord is dramatically good. Here's the thing. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but it's just so good. I can't help it. You know, little Elijah, he was born deaf, and he's not deaf anymore, and it's because the Lord's good. You know, it it wasn't, you know, I'm for doctors. You know, if you need a doctor, go for him. But, you know, Elijah didn't get his earring back because because of the, the invention and, and, and the brilliance of a doctor. He got his hearing back because the Lord is good. And that happened here. And this week, a woman with a big swollen uh, wrist and with MS got her pain taken away and her wrist healed because God's good. See, it's, who loves the, you know, what wakes your heart up more? Going out and looking at the stars or encountering the goodness of God in your, in, in your life? Man, that'll wake your heart up. I mean, they're both valid, but I'm, I'm just here to tell you, one's better. God is good. This, I mean, there's kind of a backlog of stories, so I just want to tell you a few stories. Um, this happened two or three months ago. Andrea and Michael takes a team of, of people out treasure hunting. They end up at, 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 uh, at Pizza Hut, and they have a couple words of knowledge, and one of the words of knowledge is something about a lip ring. So they go in. They're looking for a person with a lip ring. First person they meet, who's the hostess, has a lip ring. They look at her. They say, we think you're our treasure. They minister to her a little bit. This, this girl gets touched and says, you should come back and pray for the staff. Now, can I tell you something? If, if they had walked in and said, hey, let us pray for the staff, it never would have happened. You know, you, you begin to obey God. You begin to show people a little of the goodness of God. You throw some of that, you broker some of that kingdom junk out. And the next thing you know, you're getting invited into places you couldn't go. And so they get invited to the back room with the staff. And the, 
And the assistant manager comes out, and he's got a big old bum ankle. And Andrea and the guys, they go, well, why don't we pray for your ankle? And he goes, okay. They pray for it. The power of God hits him. All of his ankle pain leaves. Can I tell you something? We're invited back to Pizza Hut anytime we want to go. Because God is incredibly good. He just, he just loves to do that kind of stuff. Here's one that will blow your all's brains. I'm sorry, Bree, I forgot to ask if I could tell this story. This is, this is a really good one. Remember when your teeth were all screwed up? This is really good. Listen, you all, Labriska, Labriska had a cavity that was going to have to be filled, and this was last fall. This was a really good story. Labriska had a cavity that needed to be filled, and she goes to the dentist to make an appointment. They look at it, and they go, yeah, you got a cavity. She leaves. And the night before she's to come in and have that cavity filled, she has a dream from God, and in the dream, God heals her. He fills her cavity. And she comes back the next day, and she's like, it's not hurting. So she goes in for her appointment. She goes, look, I know I'm supposed to have an appointment this week morning, and I know this is going to seem incredibly strange to you, but check my cavity because I had a dream last night, and God healed it, and so I don't think I have one anymore. So just imagine telling that to the dentist, okay? She tells that to the dentist. He says, I'm game. Sit down. He looks in there and goes, you know, you don't have a cavity. Now, explain that one. No one laid hands on her. She just had a dream, just a dream. And the, and the dentist had seen the cavity before, and he had seen that it wasn't there with his own two eyes. Now, explain that one to you. The only explanation is this, that God is good. See, the foundation of worship for this church has to be God is good. Not just God is great. He is great. I'm not going to take it away from him, but he's good. He's really good. Here's the other thing I want you to notice as well. We saw it last week, and, and I just we're going to highlight it every time we can see it in the Scripture. Look at verse 4. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's coming into the presence of God. What is the revelation of coming into the presence of God? Verse 5, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Last week we were talking about Moses. Moses encounters the presence of God. God says, I'm going I'm to cause all my glory and all my all my presence to come in, to pass in front of you. And what was the revelation of God's presence and his glory coming in front of Moses? Y'all remember that? The Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, rich in love, compassionate, and forgiving sin to a thousand generations. See, it's the goodness of the Lord. We get in the presence of the Lord, I promise you, it'll be the goodness of God that'll show up. It's not really the presence of God if his goodness doesn't come. That's what we're going for. Awesome. Yay, Jesus. So I said all of that to say this. Number one, Vineyard, our church is going to be marked by worship that is full of joy. We're going to be a people who are marked by fullness of joy everywhere we go. Vineyard, our, our, our church is going to be a church where the worship is marked by gratefulness and thankfulness. It's just, it's going to be who we are because we love his presence. Thankfulness is our way in. And Vineyard, our worship, it's going to be, it, it's, going to, it's going to rise from a foundation that's built upon the goodness of God. Not just, not just a theological or a mental construct of the goodness of God, but the everyday, Monday through Wednesday, you know, all the way through, regular work week, 
experience of the goodness of God. Amen? Amen? I mean, before, I, before, I, before we get into ministry time, I, I want you to just do a little, little calculation with me here. What would worship, worship was awesome this morning, by the way, you know? And it, and it wasn't just because the band was awesome. And the band is awesome. Joe, that was the best I've ever heard you play drums in my whole life. That third song, are you kidding me? That was awesome. I was getting, I was getting nailed just watching Joe hammer those drums. It means nothing to some of you guys. Man, it touches me, okay? Worship was really good this morning, and it was better than the band because Jesus was with us. But, but think with me about this. How good would worship be if every single one of us during the week encountered the real deal goodness of God in our own life? I mean, we do every week, but I'm saying, what if, what if we became brokers of the goodness of God and we just began to pass out his goodness all week long? And, and what, if, what if every single person in here came in with some story like Bubba's or even better? Do you think worship would be off the chain? Do, do, you think you'd be, do, you think, do you think you'd be ready to just lay it all down before Jesus? I, I promise you, it, it would. And it would, it, would, it would shake our whole community. Because Jesus, man, when, when we come in like that, Jesus just says, oh, I'll, I'll be all over that. He show up, he'll show up for that one. Awesome. Ministry team, come on.